Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live on Oz Property Investors. We bring the big names and we have the big fun. Big fun. And Polizzi, how are you going? Is that big? Did that get any bigger? It's good going. It needs a trim, but I'm trying to get the full full Ned Kelly going. Let's, let's keep it going. I'm just, I'm just jealous. I'm extremely jealous. How about, how about you, Jordan? What's what's happening, man? I can see. I'm doing very well, mate. You nearly uh, stuffed up the intro there. I was trying to get my Steve Polizzi two fingers <laughs> up. He does really well every time. So I'm trying to, yeah. Trying to get that down packed, but uh, now doing well, enjoying the GC as you can tell. Uh, yeah. working with my tan and my surfer hairstyle, so living the dream. Do you think, think yeah. you're long term, or is it just a sample year and see how you go and decide after that? Uh, well, we're renting for six months in like a Meriton apartment, so it's just kind of like a see how we go. We're right across from the beach, so um, give it a crack. But we've been looking here for the last sort of six to 12 months, and I reckon we'll settle on something this year. So we just wanted to get a feel of what areas we like, but. Definitely loving the lifestyle. Yeah. If you look at the population growth around Australia for each little town, like Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast is just ridiculous. I think the last one I saw was like 9.4% for, for each of those. Like it's everyone's moving there. The capital cities are like negative 0.2%. Yeah, that population change is actually crazy. It'll be interesting to watch over the next little while, but I don't see it's really slowed down. And in fact, it's like it's almost staying on the same trajectory. And I still have stories. Like I've had so many people reach out to me like, oh, how's the GC? Are you enjoying the move? We're thinking of doing it. Like uh, people are still wanting to move. So it'll be interesting to watch. What's the, what's the, what's the biggest, uh, best part about moving from Melbourne? Or if you're sort of Melbourne way, right? Um, in terms of, well, for me personally, it was decluttering. So like we sold everything, like bed, furniture, everything. We moved, we like the back of a car. So decluttering was so good. I realized how little I actually needed, like literally had a snowboard and a laptop and a couple of clothes. Um, so that was the best sort of life impact. And then definitely the weather, like Melbourne and I, I love Melbourne and I love the culture, but I think, you know, that whole sort of like cafe vibe and like really nice restaurant vibe, you can almost get anywhere across Australia now. Like we've been to so many places here that are unbelievable. Um, and I think you can just get it here. And Melbourne's cold like 80% of the year. And I just like, I just got over it when you've got, you know, a usual day is 20, 25, 30 degrees here. Like it's, it's so nice. And the sun's mostly always out apart from today. Um, yeah. So yeah, just the weather, I guess. There you go. I was going to say the weather, but yeah, we don't, it uh, rains a lot in Sydney these days. So anyway, the big property short here, we are here tonight to talk about the, yeah, people are like, what does that even mean? It's like, well, it means the, the type of asset that maybe you should consider reconsidering or maybe you should, yeah, whatever that means. So, but I'm excited to talk through some, some examples and some case studies with people, with, with, the, with some of the guys who've spoken to thousands of clients in, in, and bought more than a couple of investments themselves. Like last time I heard, didn't please he's buying his 30th or his 50th or something. I mean, you haven't, don't know that many, but uh, you bought a few, so for yourself at least. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to unpack that. So any questions or comments along the way or anything that doesn't make sense, please drop it in the comments. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know as well uh, If you later on. So we love the engagement. So let's get on to quotes of the week. Do you want to go first, please? I think you 
chose about four of them. We should go to the guest. <laughs> I just want to go to you because you feel I feel like you were trying to pick one out. So give me my intense Please. two minutes before we went live trying to find a quote. Uh, so like star jumps, yeah, loved it. Let, let's stick with the Oprah Winfrey one I found. So the quote is: "If you look at what you have in life, you'll always have more. If you look at what you don't have in life, you'll never have enough." And it's my lady, Ooh. my lady Oprah. Yeah, that's a. That's a profound one because it's, it's interesting. And we're, we're talking here about what properties we shouldn't be sort of or should reconsider. So maybe if we, if we focus too much on this, we, we probably shouldn't be uh, – that's why maybe we shouldn't necessarily have sessions like this, but uh, there you go. The, 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 reason, the reason I kind of chose it and why I gravitate towards me because, like, John will probably attest to this as well. My high net worth clients are no happier than my low, low net worth clients. If any, it's probably the opposite. I don't like saying it, but they're probably more miserable because they seem to be chasing this like hamster wheel, this carrot that doesn't exist. Whereas the the low ones, they're over the moon. They go out and buy a 400 grand resi property and they're, they're bloody excited. They're like, this is the best thing ever. I've made 50 grand, yada, yada, yada. The high net worth guys not there, their dial changes and nothing really satisfies them after that. Yeah. So what do you think, what do you think is the secret, Polizzi? then don't get rich. Is that, is that the, is no, that the moral just, story? Just work out what actually makes you happy. Like that's my advice. Like just be honest to yourself. Like, like for me, example, like I, I enjoy rock climbing, hiking, travel. So I don't have to have a 500K passive income from that. And I, and I never will. Like I don't need to. I drive a $12,000 camper van. I don't enjoy cars or flashy. I don't have any watches or anything like that. So I think just, just being true to yourself. Most people just try to impress, impress people that don't give a shit about how about you, John? What's your quote of the week, man? Uh, I had two. I'm just going to go with one, though. And I think it's really important because I think mine was the original one was really focused on the fundamentals, which I think is important and will be a reoccurring story today. But the quote that I've chosen is history never repeats itself, man always does. And the way I, the reason I chose this is because there will be a lot of history repeating itself in today, but it's not in the way of the context that people will think. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest unspoken things about property is it's really about us and human emotions and how we react to things. So I think sticking to the fundamentals is so important and it's really easy. And I I love that we have these sessions, as you said, Jeff, because it kind of reinforces what those fundamentals are. But think about like it's really us and our human emotions that drive our decisions to, you know, underpin the fundamentals, I guess. It's just something that's not always commonly talked about so uh history never repeats itself but man always does yeah it's, that's it's interesting because i was reading about often i i look at what the other side is in the property bears on twitter they're always talk. i i just i don't i just sometimes laugh at them but so they said something today about the adelaide market and they said oh like property sort of has has the reason why it hadn't sort of boomed before 2020 or boomed as much as what it has is they sort of said Oh, look, it, because it was sort of the reason it did boom then is because it was sort of, um, it, it was a bit behind. So it was just catching up. And then, and then somebody said, and, and, he, and this person said, well, what, what, are, what, are the, what are the fundamentals? What are the, what, are, what is the data that actually supports that? And, and I sort of thought, well, I mean, I don't know. I think that I, I could have come up with an argument. I just thought it's interesting to sort of see what somebody who doesn't really invest in property and, and is hoping for property to go bad thinks and just sort of, but yeah, anyway. And, and, but it's the reason why a lot of this is a lot of it is driven by emotion and, and sort of thinking, well, I want that bigger, nicer, shinier house or in, in really, near the really nice school. 
I was going to say, I use the example of like the markets move really quick. Sometimes the fundamentals and like the economy hasn't changed in that time. Just over 12 months, it can grow. Start of COVID, for example, theoretically it should be going down, but Sydney, Melbourne, et cetera, went up 20% in that year. So like people's wage didn't double overnight. The, the numbers didn't change. So that's the human element pushing the market. And like I said, the fundamentals underpin that, but it can come and go based on human emotion. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. you go. It's funny you mentioned the, the, the bears, Jeff. I um I went through a season probably 18 months ago where I was listening to the bears on YouTube like really heavily because they release a lot of content like daily. Mark or, North and all that? Or yeah, yeah, guys. yeah, those guys. And like I was getting on the Twitter and following them on Twitter and stuff. And man, I tell you what, like I'm, I'm, like, I'm always really pro property, like just because of, you know, my history and, you know, what I've seen and what I've been seeing people be able to achieve. But I got to a really like, I felt in like, not, not depressed, but I kind of just felt like really sad and like negative and worried. And like, I just really, really got to me. So I don't do it anymore, but I, I try, I tried to do what you do, like understand what the other side thinks, but I got into a really bad state. It was so weird. Yeah. I'm, I mostly just do it these days because young Hayden West is on there and he's like, he's trolling him a little bit and it's just hilarious to see what he, and, and they just, he, he just literally rips and, and they just rip into him and he just doesn't care. I'm just like, wow, Hayden, how can you just, you're getting pummeled here. Yeah. But anyway, not about it, but I just find it interesting to sort of see the, the sort of, cause there's usually there, it's, there's when there's usually those kind of people, there's only one side, but it's just interesting to see a property kind of, not a, necessarily a bull, but somebody who is more pro property to sort of, counteract some of them and they just get so angry and i'm just like wow it's just interesting on to my quote of the week by mark twain by a famous author he said buy land they're not making any more of it so we're sort of talking about house house and land versus apartment versus existing so i think that was relevant because if if you look at it a lot of the, and interested to hear some of your perspectives as well and i think that if if you are looking at more valuable sort of scarce land generally speaking the fundamentals will, will be the people supply and demand. So that's why I wanted to say that, but it doesn't always turn out because there are um, rules within that rule. So we're going to unpack some of that. So yeah, that's a lot. One, one of the things I've been telling clients in the last few weeks, and I know it's a little bit morbid is we've literally had wars over land for thousands of years mm. and we're still having wars over land. So if you can own a big piece of land, you're, you're onto a winner long-term. So true. It's crazy to think about that, like all our history and the, the war. We used to fight over who owned what and who got to live where. No, it's so true. Yeah. Australia, not even that long ago, a few hundred years ago, where we're stealing land off people. Like it's, it's, it's going, down, going down dark, going down dark place here. I think we should throw to our first sponsor, <laughs> Mr. Steve Polizzi. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's tee him up. And we'll talk about the, the big man we've got on tonight, Mr. Jordan Dijon. I'm excited. Got a throw to this, and here we go. The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases, it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield. So you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. 
Now, with big rewards comes some risk, and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years' experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today, and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. There we go. So, Polizzi, what, what what do you think about commercial these days? You still still a big fan of it? I'm taking I, you up. I hope. The, the, the thing I tell, I tell people this all the time, like I always have these like sales calls with people and they're like, Property's a long-term game. Buy to the fundamentals. 10 years, 20 years, long-term game. And then at the end of the call, they're always like, well, so what do you think is going to happen in the next six months, Steve? Should I sit out of the market? And I'm just like, we just spent an hour talking about how it's a long-term game. And now we're worried about the next six months. So, um, but in terms to answer your question, commercial fundamentals, still strong. Lowest vacancy rates we've ever had. Like we're talking sub 0.8% in most capital cities. Um, rents are growing more than ever have as well. CBRE reported last quarter, most capital cities grew by 8% just in the last quarter. For a, so we're talking 15 to 30% rental increases year on year. Unemployment, all-time low as well. So there's money there. So all those fundamentals are still strong. The only negative is interest rates, and that's going to change buyer sentiment. Um, and you can't plan from that. You should be should be planning for 5% to 7% interest rates anyway long-term, even if you were buying a year or two ago at 3%, 4%. There you go. Good. So the person we've got, uh, first we've got on here, to, if you haven't heard of him, he's got a, he's got a big plan. You could even call it a game plan. So you build a property portfolio in your early 20s, though, and you've got a huge passion for helping others. And I looked at your website. Has your team grown recently? Because I, I looked at, I was like, has you always had that many people in your team? Oh, yeah. I mean, it has grown over time. I mean, there's, there's yeah. definitely a lot more sort of planners on board and um, marketing team now and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I still seem like a, I still feel like a solo entrepreneur. Like I still feel like I have control and do everything. But yeah, now that I think about it, there's actually a fair few people coming on board. You've got, yeah, two, four, six, seven. I and mean, one, one is your wife. So, but, um, but I'm sure she's probably one of the most valuable pe- people on the team. Like, do you just get rid of George? His wife can probably just run the whole thing. Pretty much. She's all yeah. over it. I'm but trying no, to get her on sales calls, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I mean, there you go. You have to sell it more. But uh, <laughs> no, that's that's why I'm excited. You, you, you are the person who looks at many people's portfolios, like the hundreds and even thousands of sort of, for a lot of sort of BAs mostly, day in, day out. So you sort of seen have seen a lot of the assets and some of the lemons. So that's why I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on to talk about this. And I, I think it's thought it was appropriate because, people usually talk about the gains you can make in property, but they don't necessarily talk about the lemons that they, because they're afraid. They think, oh, you know, I made a mistake and it's scary and it's, it, you feel like a failure. So let's, uh, let's, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about here tonight. We're going to be talking about the case studies between some of the asset types and some, some examples as well. 
and also put some insights from both. And uh, what else have we got? We got some unique asset types. So we've got heaps of different things tonight. So shall we kick on? Let's do it. Yeah. What I like about Jordan's stuff is he's he's a reality check for people. When people say, "Oh, this is what's happened," he punches in the numbers and be like, "No, no, this is actually what happened." Like. We can all talk a big game on social media and be like, oh, my Sydney property dropped by 20%, yada, 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 or I bought this off the plan and it reduced by this. Do you look at the numbers long-term, that's when you look at your ROI because if you're not selling or you're not refinancing, it means nothing until you actually forecast it. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into that, we were talking about a funny a funny story. Maybe not that. that's funny. So we should do that first. So what is the, what is the craziest story from your property investing journey, Jordan? Um. Yeah, so I bought a, a unit in Strathmore in Melbourne and it was a it was a seventies build and it was a block of four, but it was like so unit it's two bedroom unit, one upstairs, one downstairs, and then like same next door as well. Um and the strata or body corporate guy was the guy who lived in the front and he actually built two of them. Or he bought two of them and then converted the bottom unit and top unit into like one one dwelling. Um, put stairs in between everything else like that. But seventies build we were kind of at the back. Um, the oh, I can I can go on for days about the electrical box and how that all works. But same with the the plumbing it was kind of like all connected in together. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget the the Strymat. He's a legend. Like he's such a nice guy. But he came over one day and he started walking me through the back of the property that I just purchased. And he goes, "Look, like this is this is the lay of the land. This is where you know you got to watch for this tree. It's going to grow. You got to watch the roots. Telling me all this stuff." And he's like, then then there's this pipe that goes through your backyard and there's this little grate here. He goes, if I can give you one piece of advice, he goes, get some concrete, fill up the grate and, and, and seal it all off. Because you know what that is? That's the sewer pipe. And you know what's going to happen? If people keep stuffing, you know, whatever, sorry, yeah. for, sorry for tampons all the girls or- out there, but like tampons or like what baby wipes or whatever, they keep stuffing it down there and it clogs up. There's going to be shit all through your backyard. And uh, lo and behold, I got a call from the, the property manager, I don't know, 18 months after I, I purchased it or something, saying there's, there's poo all through your backyard. So, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a headache to sort out, but should have, should have listened to the property manager to, to concrete it up. I, I disagree, Jordan. Don't listen to property managers about plumbing works. Go talk to a plumber. Like you could have, you could have backed up that pipe, and it could have been coming out your toilet instead. Very true. Very true. But yeah, that's right. there you go. Interesting. That's uh, yeah. So how did you fix that though? You just sort of got somebody into like do you do it yourself. I don't know. I'm a property manager. I'm not going there to fix up that. <laughs> <laughs> Some someone else there to fix it all up. But yeah, it's all sorted now. It won't happen again. But yeah. That's what there you get from uh, all the dwellings. That was a bit, so, bit of a shit, bit of a shit story. <laughs> a shit story. Bit of a shit show. Yeah. Um, so, so what, what what we're going to talk about first is I think we're going through. I, I changed up the order and said each asset type pros and cons. But do you want to go through the historical? Should we go through the historical first? Because yeah, I wouldn't mind going through the historical first just to sort of set the scene and. Sorry, what did we're I share that too today. soon? Can you? Um, all right, awesome. You can see my screen. I can see it. Sweet. Um, so there's a couple of graphs that I want to go through first. We're going to be breaking down a, a fair bit. So we'll, we'll do houses versus units first. That's the obvious one. Then we'll yep. do units versus apartments and then house versus house and land. Um, yep. I've just picked like real random areas or just areas that I've known and kind of trying to find assets and analyze them individually. But I want to go like zoom out and go high level. Um, this is a, a rolling annual growth rate uh, of national houses and units. I don't think it goes back to 2012, which is 10 years, but 
I think it's just a really good um, picture setting of, you know, how the two different asset types have performed. If you can look, the, the, the purple line is, is houses and the yellow pink line, the pink, not yellow, the pink line is units. And it's almost always um, below the house number. There's only one section between March 18 and March 20 where um, it, it, it's above. But if you look at it theoretically, you know, there's always lower highs and there's always higher lows, which means it might not be as volatile but it almost always is below the growth rate of um, of, of houses and units. So um, if, if, if we... I if, if I understand this correctly, are you saying that nationally uh, houses since March 2012 have only grown 20.2 percent? Is that is that right? Or... I think that um, might be where it's currently at at that endpoint. Um, but it's just yeah, no. This is a this is an annual, so this will be based on that annual number. Um, oh. The next, the next one gets into that's probably a good segue actually. Um, well, Jeff, he's not saying it's grown twenty percent over time. He's saying that year it had twenty percent, whereas in like two thousand, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. zero percent growth rate that year. Yeah, it's not, it's not cumulative. It's, it's not the, 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 left, the y-axis is percentage. It's not purchase price. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I just thought I'd ask that because yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'm now I'm looking at rolling. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, That's, so I just, it, it's quite interesting just to look at it overall how how it's always below, or majority of the time it's below. I, I, I was actually surprised that it hasn't, um, because I'm just looking at the scale, because if you look at where it was, because it seems, it, it was a bit, I know that's only on a yearly basis, but I thought it would be a, a bit higher, a bit, uh, bit more than that. But I suppose that's where like 1% or 2% per year can add up to over 20 years, which is 20% or 25%, 30%, whatever it is which can, can be over compounding, which can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It yeah. is, Jeff, but if you look at the gap between March 18 and March 20, that's the only time really it goes below the 0% axis. Every other point in time where you can see, the average looks about 5%. Is that right, Jordan? So like yeah. 14, yep. 5%, 16, we're still around 5%, which we know the, the typical 30-year growth is around 5 6% for most capital cities. So, so yeah. it is strong. So you got five percent or five percent or five percent. So that that's why you get that exponential growth. Yeah, spot on. And then if we instead of looking at it annually and on a rolling basis, if we zoom out then and sort of put it all together, um, this is our this is thirty years. So back to July nineteen ninety two, combined capitals, houses and units. Um, what we can see here is how much that compounding effect of a difference really starts to take place. Um, you know, the, the houses have grown at 453% compared to units at 306%. So that one or 2%, as you're saying, Jeff, over decades can have a, a, a massive effect. It's um, crazy the difference in the last 10, like look at that 82 versus 46, whereas the other two decades were um, not too, but not, not crazy. That was 7% or 7 to 9%. Yeah, which is quite interesting to see because a lot of people talk about, um, you know, the elasticity or returning back to, you know, the standard deviation or whatever it might be. So there are people out there that will argue the fact that, you know, it is below where it potentially should be and there is an opportunity for units to start to increase at the same or, or, or closer to houses to come back in that normal. But I think the dispersion over the years just seems to be getting larger and larger and we, where we look at houses are here, they are quite high as well. So, you know, if houses were to come down and units were to sort of stay on the same trajectory, 
um, you know, that number might be a little bit closer. But, yeah, you're spot on. That last decade is um, quite significant. What, what do you think the reason for that? You can see this is 30 years we're looking at here and the gradient between the two lines is getting bigger. So um, the people that are buying units have to have some form of justification of why it's going to come back. And there being difference in price is probably not a justification. There needs to be more than that. But I'll, I'll let you talk about later in the later slides. But, yeah, I've obviously got my own thoughts. What do you, what yeah, do you, what do you think? I'm interested in Polizzi's thoughts as to why. Is it purely a supply and demand kind of thing? Is it is that the... The, the thing for me is apartments, you can always build inside sky space. With a house, you've got a land component. You can always build up with apartments. So if you're ever going to have a price, say you buy an apartment and it grows in value, a developer is just going to go next door and buy 10 houses and build a 20-storey apartment tower. So there's no lack of supply with apartments. They're, they're always going to be building up. And you look at cities. That, that's how cities are formed. You go go look at the photos from Sydney in the 1950 versus now. They've all gone from four stories up to like 20-story towers. So they've got infinite sky space. But according to your quote as well, Jeff, we don't have infinite land. <laughs> Spot on. Um, I'll jump into the next one. This is um, from probably my biggest virtual mentor. Um, has my second favorite property book which is uh, The Rules of the Lending Game. If you guys want to know my, my favourite property book. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> it's uh, Commercial Property Explained Simply. Um, Stuart, Stuart Wimes, isn't it? Wimes? Or... Stuart, yeah, Stuart Weems. I don't know, Wimes, Weems, whatever you, whatever you want we'll to call it. We'll have to get him on the show. I have friends um, who are on LinkedIn, so we should get him. Yeah, he's, he's, all, he's awesome, man, and um, he'll love to come on. But um, this is why it's really, really important to zoom out because you can manipulate and change data to however you want it to look like. Um, so this is the median house price growth to March, 2022. If we look at the last three years, and if anyone's ever talking to you just about the growth of the last three years, you can make it look really good. You can make it look really sexy. You know, you've got Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane all above 12.2%, uh, which is awesome. And then if you look at, take it back to five years, which is just a two year difference, um, you know, we're, we're well below below the, the long-term average in Sydney and Melbourne there. And Brisbane's actually outperformed at 8.5%. So take it back to 10 years now. Sydney's the best performer. Melbourne's second best. Brisbane's the worst. And so even if you were talking to a professional out there, they can chop and change and break down data to sort of represent or show what you'd like, what they would like you to see. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to take it all the way back to that long term, which is 15 years plus. There's no number of how many years it is. But on average, they're all around, and this is just for houses, not for units. Um, Steve was right before, and sort of the average at about 5% for units. Um, but over the long term, you know, Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne are all between 7.6% to 8.2%, which is very small in diversion. But just sort of shows you, you know, any way you chop and change and manipulate data. And I want to really break that down on individual assets today. Um, oh, this actually is the 40-year price growth. So we take it back to 40 years. Um, that long-term picture really does show you sort of how different timeframes can make you see different data, uh, chop and change it in, in a way that, that suits for you. One of the points I like to kind of point out to people is as long as the capital city has the fundamentals, like there's employment and things like that, they have to remain on par in terms of capital growth long term. Because if they didn't, we just saw this with apartments, but we'd say we do the same thing with houses and houses 
and Sydney grew by 3% more than Brisbane, in the mm. next 30 years' times, we'd end up with a huge disparity in price. The houses in Sydney would be 5 mil and the houses in Brisbane would be 1 mil. And then guess what happens then? People move. There's interstate migration. There's people, like how many people do you know have moved up to the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast being like, I'm not paying 1.6 mil for a house in Sydney. I'm going to go buy a million dollar house there. And that's why it shifts. And that's why we have cycles and all that type of stuff. I'll shut up now. I've been told I'm not allowed to make a show about myself. So carry on, Jordan. No, it's all good. And that's exactly what happened to us. We were, we were buying a, a house that was overlooking like a, a river and then the city in Melbourne. And it, I think it went to auction for 2.1 or something like that. And I just thought, why would I like, it wasn't in the best area. It was a little bit farther, further out, probably 20 minutes from the city or something. But like, why would I spend that in, in Melbourne when I can go to the Gold Coast, be on the back of, you know, the canal, be close to the beach, have better weather? Like, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And um, buy something for less. Like, you, you, you nailed it. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing I wanted to say about that is why do they, why do they, why, why do they, why do they have, like, do Perth and Adelaide and Hobart, don't they matter? Like, what about, what about these other states? There are, is there properties in these states? So people tuning in from these, yeah. Because I'd love to see what Perth looks like in this because that's the thing that everybody's sort of talking about. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people are. They're sort of saying Perth's done pretty bad. Not not all of Perth, but, but pockets. There you go. Here it is. I was going to say, I've, I've got that data. If I'm going to pull it up, it's, it's actually not as bad as you think. Yeah. But but you look at like 2011 to 2021, 0.4% per... So what's that? Over 10 years, that's, that's 4% in 10 years. So that's almost a lost decade you would sort of, and Adelaide as well to some extent, where Adelaide's starting to catch up now. But yeah, just um, because I think the thing under, like what, what do you guys, because that's, we're especially talking about the, the big property short order is, what do you guys think about trying to sort of look at cycliality? Cicli- that's not a word, but you know what I mean? Like cycles around, well, yes, Perth hasn't performed so well last 10. Should, should there be a case made for looking at these types of markets now? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. So I think, and this is kind of sort of where I wanted to go with with this next chart is you can see periods in here where you know we've got lower lower growth rates and then really really high growth rates. The commonality between all of them is there's no like period of time where you know you can pick and choose and go, oh, if I allocate this period of time, I'm then going to be able to time it. I mean, these two gaps are pretty close together, but it's not like a there's not a particular timing thing. It's generally like a you know, a bigger legislation move or big interest rate or cash rate changes or, you know, capital gains tax exemptions and everything else that really, really do change the consumer confidence around the market and have these major impacts. So um, you're definitely right. There there are periods of time like this is, you know, Perth, it's performed at 6.2%, which is the worst of all the capital cities um, and has gone through a period of 0.4% for 10 years, uh, which is a whole decade. So there is a, a case in point here to say, well, there's a bit of catching up to do um, to the rest of the country. It, it's just starting to go through the cycle. I don't know when, this is at the end of 2022, so I don't know when that, the end of this period is. But there definitely is a case in point to analyse this data and go, you know, there's a period of time here where you might see a bit of growth. But again, when we start to think of that, we're, we're going back to the short term. And for me, it's mm-hmm. always about, about the long term. So my argument to that question would be, well, if I had the option to choose where I'd want to invest, you know, it might be somewhere like Sydney that's performed at 7.9% over the last 40 years um, or 8.2% in Melbourne over the last 40 years um, compared to if perform if Perth had performed the same way, I would be much better off if I went into Melbourne. Now, you know, again, 
that's just taking the longer term, bigger picture and, and analysis of everything like that. But if you are investing for the short term, which is definitely not something that I personally do, um, there is a good case in point to go, you know, Perth is a little undervalued right now. Yeah. And and then I suppose even it's what somebody's budget as well, because that's the, like you try and buy a decent asset in Sydney or Melbourne, you sort of, yeah, that's that's where we sort of start. Because you can still buy apartments in in Sydney for three or 400,000, but I mean, do you want to be buying those kind of apartments in those kind of locations? So I'll, I'll give you a reason not to at the end of today's session. <laughs> well, I, I nearly bought one of those as my first investment in Mount Druitt back in 20, 2011 or 2012, and it did go up 50%, but then it's just kind of sat and done nothing for the next six or seven years. And I might be skipping ahead here a little bit. Sorry, Steve. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of my sort of key takeaways is it comes down to the individual asset. So we can analyze all this data. We can look at the long-term growth. We can look at how everything's performed. But Jeff pointed out something really important just then. It comes down to, number one, your price and budget and the individual asset itself. I'll show you areas where different asset types have performed at nearly half the rate. Um, and so it, it, it really does come down to the asset. Yeah, what, what I was going to say is even at 6.23% for Perth, you can still have a substantial portfolio. If you, you long-term and you get 6% capital growth, you can still have a multi-million dollar portfolio. So you're still doing well. Obviously, you want to do as best you can. But then, like I said, you have that long-term mindset, you're still doing really well. And that's like why we like property. Like property is a nice, safe one. Perth, I admit, is a little bit of a funny one. Like geographically, it's the most isolated city in the entire world. And then in terms of like industry is very heavily dependent on all the minerals and resources and renewable energy and things like that. And that's probably why it has the longer periods of, of no growth because it's more fluctuated by those. Whereas the Sydney, Melbourne's and things like that, they've got 12 different industries that all kind of tick over. So if one's down, the rest are kind of chugging along, whereas that's a little bit more volatile. But like John said, long-term, the affordability is there. It's probably top ready to go. What what happens to all properties between like look nineteen uh, like oh, look at look at ta- look at Hobart between two thousand two and two thousand and ten, fourteen nearly fifteen percent per annum, that's insane. <laughs> that's like that's doubling every every six years roughly. I think you rule of seventy two fifteen yeah, every five years. So what what was what happened in and it did nothing for five years. But what what was going on in Tassie during? Was it just playing catch? I mean anyway. This is how Jordan, Jordan's whole statement. Buyer sentiment plays a huge part. Sometimes the fundamentals are there and it's yeah. buyer sentiment that brings it to it. Same we, we saw it last year with people just going out paying silly dollars in Sydney and Melbourne rushing about, like for the sake of like, knowing that interest rates going to rise, like, well, better get in quick. Like, it's there. Yeah, humans are a weird creature. Spot Thank on. You. Um, cool. I, at a bit of a high level, I'm just going to go through uh, what, sh- what each asset type is. I know majority of you will all know what the different types are, but sort of moving forward, I want to explain what it is that I'm talking about. And I know even in different states, you know, a unit can be described as something different. So just want to get a bit of a um, understanding of, of what I'm talking about and sort of the areas that I'm talking about them in. So house, existing house, typical double brick home, Decent block of land, you know, been there, built in the 70s or 80s or, or before then or something like that. Existing freestanding home, no, uh, nothing, nothing too out of the, the ordinary there. Um, and I've got a Google Maps here and I'm sure the reasoning behind it will be good. Yeah, this is cool. Um, I know everyone can't afford to get into Maroubra, but it's a good example of why we like um, houses in these types of areas. So if we jump into a little street, 
we can take it. Oh, it's probably not a good one, uh, <laughs> but we can take a bit of a, a look around and see. You know, there's no massive sky rise of, of uh, buildings in here. There are some units, but most of the houses are sort of. You know, these older, my, my nan actually lives here, that's why I chose this area, but um, these older school houses on, on big blocks of land. Um, and the reason I wanted to show you the, the zoom out is we like these areas because we've got the ocean on one side. There's a nice beach here. Um, it is near the airport, which, you know, some, some don't prefer, but, you know, we're in an area here that can't be built out. And this, I'm showing you this more for the comparison against the house and land. Um, but there's no areas here that can be massively built out. Um, there's no like sort of vacant land where new new houses come here. So we're in a su supply restraint area. Um, the only way they can go is up. Um, and that's kind of yeah what I'm sort of talking about when it comes to a house versus a house and land just for context. One, one point to note, Jordan, you mentioned here like, oh, not everyone can afford Maroubra. 40 years ago, you could. The fundamentals that you just said about it's land like landlocked, you can't build out, things like that. Like my dad actually had the choice between buying a house in Bondi and Parramatta. And he chose <laughs> Parramatta because it was close to work. So you can see there the difference in fundamentals versus land. The difference in why Parramatta hasn't grown as much is because you can build all the way out to the Blue Mountains. So they've kept releasing stock in the Hills District and this and that. Maroubra, Bondi, that's landlocked. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's crazy. That's such a crazy scenario. Paramount versus Bondi. Um, High-level pros. So land is fundamentally what grows in value. You've got the ability to manufacture equity uh, as long as council approves it. There's no sort of strata or other bodies that you have to abide by. Some cons is there is high maintenance costs. You have to look after the whole dwelling yourself. It is less affordable to get into those bigger dwellings and generally comes with a lower yield um, just because there is a bigger bigger land component. Can, can you zoom in on those first two columns just a little bit for the people watching? Yep. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, now I'll jump into house and land. And what I'm talking about here is these sort of newer homes that are built in bigger estates. And I'll show you the estates in a second. Um, typically, oh, yeah, essentially, it's just a newer home, brand new fixing, fi fixtures and fittings, um, nice little letterbox. Everything's sort of brand spanking new, essentially bought off the plan or, or built. Um, and, and why I don't necessarily like these areas is they get released in stages. So if we have a look here, we've got stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, stage all the way to stage eight. And they're highlighted in this little area. And then on the left-hand side, we've got a proposed shopping center, a little childcare, you know, and some other sort of commercial dwellings, which Steve can tell you all about. Now, you know, they're essentially creating a little community here for this this area. But what they tend to do is we've got stage one here, right? Now, this whole land hasn't been developed, but it's eventually going to all come onto the market. But what they will do is they'll restrict all the other stages. They'll only release stage one and they'll say, you know, you can buy a house and land in this area for 500000 So they sell all of the stages. They sell them all for 500000 they all sold really quickly. And then the builder then all of a sudden goes, hmm, they sold really quickly. There was a lot of demand. There's still people inquiring. I'm now going to go out and sell them for 550000 Nothing different. Same house, same build, 
same cost, everything else like that. Hopefully we're not going through the current economy where inflation is at 7.8%. Um, but what they'll do over a number of, of years is just slowly release each stage and they're, they're controlling the supply in this area. They're controlling what gets released. They're controlling the supply and the demand. And it's not that the value of the property has gone from 500 to 550 in the space of six months. It's that the someone's controlled the supply that's on the market and determined that they can get more out of the dwelling. And so you get this false perception of, oh, they're growing at 50% every six months. Uh, sorry, by 50 grand every six months, I may as well get in now. But over the longer term, you know, really all, you, all you're going to really end up with, and this is some of the cons is, um, you know, if you walked for five minutes in any direction, you're essentially going to be standing at the front of your same house. Um, and, and what that means is anyone who decides to sell, say they're in a bad financial situation, they have to sell in a rush, they're happy to take less for the value of the property. Um, now, all of a sudden, because you've got the same house in the same area or on the same block of land, your house is now going to be worth whatever they've determined they're happy to sell it for. Um, and so, again, we have that whole supply and demand come into to play here. Um, some other costs, is, uh, cons is, again, high maintenance costs because you own the whole dwelling, you have to look at it. There's a longer time commitment, especially if you're going through the build phase rather than build, um, buying it after it's been built. Uh, some of the pros, though, of a, of a house and land is, again, you have more sta uh, space, still has that land component. Um, if you're really into it and you like the, the shiny new objects, you've got that customization of the option so you can pick your fixtures and fittings and design your floor plan and what aspect you want. Um, it's more affordable to still get some block of land. Um, and does sometimes come with some higher yields just because it's a, a newer newer build and tenants are generally happy to pay for, for something newer and nice. Um, I think that's pretty fair. And I've never looked at it the way you said it is, the builder and developer controls the supply. And that's one of the key reasons it goes up. I've always visualized it as the comparables are always there. That's why you pay more because, and I'm, I'm sort of wrong in that regards, where like the first one you've got negotiating power because there's no comparables. You're like, I want to pay this. But then by stage three, stage four, there's a whole two years worth of comparables. And it's a lot harder to be like, I want this for 650 when they've all sold for 725. And that's why they go for 750. So that's, that's actually a really good way of looking at it. It's the, the developers in control, not you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I worked for a major builder for like 10 years and like it was a great job and stuff. But I got to really learn a lot of these insights, which is which is quite cool. That's that's really um yeah it's really interesting because I've I've seen a I'm down the south coast and there's, there's a suburb not too far from me called Wongawilly. Um, you guys may nice. yeah yeah I don't know have you heard of Wongawilly? I mean it's just a funny name maybe, <laughs> but yeah like I I look at the the price over there and they've just gone from like sort of eight hundred thousand to sort of nine hundred to a million dollars now. I'm like why is this like there's the age old kind of don't buy house and land. I'm like well now now it actually makes sense. I'm like well it's because they've actually released the in stages. And so that's just played out in, in front of my eyes, sort of as to why. And, and if somebody decides they want to sell tomorrow and if they need to sell for 850, 900, then that'll bring th those $1 million houses that people have paid probably a bit too much for down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as always, when you're, you're buying off a builder and a developer, you know, they're, they're taking a clip somewhere, they're making a bit of profit. So um, it's like driving a, a new car out of the, 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 the drive or the, the car yard you're paying for the shiny new objects and you're paying the builder a bit of a, a commission or a bit of profit as well. So um, all that gets tied into it. 
Um, so units, what are we talking about with units? Um, generally, they're in sort of a, a block of 12 or, or you know, 16 or, or something less than that. Can be sort of the old school double brick as well, like we saw with the old school houses, but generally in a, in a lower amount of, or clump of, of units altogether. Um, the reason, and, and this is a really good example of, you know, some of the, 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 the pros and cons of, of units, there's good areas and there's bad areas. And I'll show you a good area in a second, but I would consider this probably, I mean, it's near Fairfield station slash Parramatta, but you can see how many of exactly the same dwellings there are within this area. So even though they're in a block of 12 and, you know, generally you want less because of the slight uh, supply and demand ratio, you know, in the area, there's, you know, 10, 20 of the same dwellings, which means the supply is, is through the roof. Lo and behold, we're on a main road plus right across from a train station as well. So not ticking many boxes here. Um, but yeah, just a bit of an understanding of, of what a unit is there. And um, this one is probably an example of where a unit might be okay. I don't know where this is, um, but, you know, a little block of unit looks like there's five there um, and, you know, does have beach access, doesn't have beach views, but is close to the beach. And for someone who's over for a bit of a lifestyle driver, um, that could be a bit of a, a tick of one. So kind of looks like far north Queensland. It looks like probably, it could be wrong, but probably, probably. As always, though, guys, obviously do your due diligence and talk to town planners and stuff like that because stuff changes. Like Gold Coast, we know, had a huge oversupply at one point because they weren't building little three-story ones. If next door builds a 20-story skyscraper for you, that's a lot of supply to the market within a short amount of time. Great point. Um, and that's so true. Like you can see these look like just normal family homes, but you know, if, if the council's approved one of these, the, the council can then approve a hundred of these, which does start to impact the supply and demand ratios. Yeah. And there's exceptions to the rules, like the, the off the plan you showed before the houses, some of those can actually make sense in some coastal areas. Like if that's a small development where they're not doing eight stages, they're doing a one stage 20 house development, that's still got the scarcity supply. And then those little communities are actually really in demand because people like the newness of it. There's money and there's affluence in the area. So there's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Um, quick pros. So lower maintenance costs, they can be more affordable. Sometimes they come with amenities, which is generally bad for us anyway, but good for tenants um, and typically do come with higher yields, although not always. Um, cons is less space. You've got your strata. Um, again, acceptable to anyone else who sells. So, you know, if number two decides to sell at a lower price, then typically number one is valued at that price. Um, and it comes with a lesser land component as well. And then again, just going through things quickly. When we're talking about apartments, we're talking about high rises, as, as Steve mentioned before, where, um, you know, it might potentially be okay as if you had like a... Somewhere in... Like yeah, a, a, a beach view or a water view or something like that. Um you know, again, you are. Oh, it's like it's near the North Stain Hotel. Yeah, well, you know, the Stain you Hotel mainly. Still, um, you know, there's still a ton of them in the same space, so you are still susceptible to them. But you know, you do have those those views which um you, that can't be built out, which is really important as well. Yeah. Um, essentially, the same pros and cons for the unit. So more affordable amenities, security in apartments as well. Um, and then high yields. Again, the cons are essentially the same there. Um, so that's what we're talking about when we jump into these things. And we're like nearly an hour in, so uh, I'll get. <laughs> I'll shut up. 
Um, so three areas I broke down. Brisbane uh, in New Farm, I'm going to do a houses versus units and how they've performed. Um, I've broken down every time that they've sold, the period between the times they've sold and the different growth rates. Um, first two are houses. Uh, we'll check them out. I was going to do some high-level due diligence, but it feels like, why does my LinkedIn open while I'm on a live chat? So funny. Um, <laughs> just look at where they are. Uh, so this sold for two and a half mil back in 2021. Um, really, really nice dwelling. Looks like it's obviously been recently renovated. Um, looking quite good from from that side of things. Really nice home. If we look at where it is on the map, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit, bit further back, not near the main streets or anything else like that. Probably got a nice strip of shop somewhere local, local um, state school really close as well, which is which is sometimes a big driver of um, the demand of, of new areas. But good little place. Now, if we look at when that sold, so it last sold in 2021 for 2.5. The previous time before that, it sold in 2007 for 795. So there's a 14-year gap there and a growth of 1.7 mil. It's a 214% growth since the last sale, and it's compounded at about 8.5%. Previous time before that was 2000. It was valued at 268, seven years between there. It's grown by nearly 200%, and that's compounded at 16%. And this is really where I wanted to tie in that pro-solution graph of how different periods of time the same property can grow at, at different different rates, right? And, you know, there might be a renovation and other things that are factored in here that we can't really see and when they were done. But um, just good to get a, an understanding of different time periods and how they've performed. If we go back to the original sale, sold for 113K back in 1988, um, which means essentially over a 33-year period, it's compounded at 9.84%. Now, the Australian average, and I hate using this number because every month is different, but the Australian average is 6.8%. So, or if we looked back at that graph beforehand from Pro Solution, the Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, it was like 7.2 to 8.2 or something like that. So, um, well performed well above the, the, the average here. That's interesting. Do you think that's uh, just um, before we go on to the next one? Do you think that's because of it's more of a luxurious sort of uh, scarcity in demand? It looks looks pretty nice. Yeah, it's definitely nice. Um, I'm, I personally don't know Brisbane that well um, or New Farm that well, but it is a very nice dwelling. Like if you have a look at um, some of the, the fixtures, I mean, who who wouldn't really want to love to live there? Want to live there? Um, it's, and then, yeah. as well, Jeff. Look at where it is compared to the city. And like yeah. Jordan mentioned before, the land supply, they're not building any more land there. And again, what Jordan mentioned about he doesn't hate using averages, you can't compare like an Ipswich and a Logan and a Morton Bay with this property because they've got land releases. This one probably not had a land release for 30, 40 years. Yeah, I suppose the because um, you look at you look at some places in sort of Kangaroo Point and and we'll, uh, there'd be sort of a lot of apartments that have gone in there. So it'd just be as you said before about understanding what can be done and and yeah, the city town planners will understand all that sort of stuff. Um, just to make sure I didn't pick like a random good performing asset, I've got a backup here as well. I'll take a, a quick look at this um, different type of facade, but it's only on a four hundred ninety one square meter block again it's quite nice though uh, from the outside and the inside nice little fireplace there 
obviously, you know, somewhat relatively renovated recently, um, but really, really nice performing asset uh, or looking asset, I should say. Um, we've got different growth re- periods, probably not worth going through all of them, but the original sale date was in 1982 um, and it sold for 62000 which blows my mind. Um, and then the recent sale was in 2020 and it sold for 2.75 mil. Um, essentially over a 38-year period there, it's performed at a, an average of 10.49%, which again is, is pretty crazy over that longer time period. If we have a look at the map of where it is, it's very similar to where the previous one is, a little bit closer to the water, um, but essentially you know, a street or two across from, from where we were beforehand. Um, the, the interesting thing here is, you know, there's never a year where it gets below 6.3% compounding growth rate or a period of time, I should say, um, which just goes to show that, you know, a, a good performing asset will or should always perform consistently pretty well. Now, if we stay in the same area and we're a new farm, but we're going to move to units, same sort of uh, periods of time. Uh, I'll walk you through this first one. And I didn't say this before, but apologies if anyone's ever bought any of these properties. Um, didn't mean to pull them up or anything else like that, but they're just good to go through. This is a little 2-2. Um, they'd consider it an apartment, but we'll have a look at the building profile in a, in a second. Again, it's not terrible inside. It's obviously done a, a little bit of a renovation recently and then they're showing all the amenities if you have a look at the floor plan just a typical little little two better nice that they've got a dining room and a bit of a lounge room instead of like one little area but two balconies as well plus a car space um, if we have a look at the building profile it's 70 percent owned occupied which is generally you know what you want to look out for um, and then there's only seven other structures within the dwelling itself as well so again not too much in terms of the supply demand um, unless I jump in, have a look at the street, and there's all the same types of assets um, around it. If we have a look at where we are, you know, again, a little bit closer to the water. And if we do like a, a street view, you know, there are a couple of other little units around as well. So definitely a bit of supply around. It looks like there's some getting built down here as well. Um, but if we have a look at how this has performed, the first transaction was back in 1993 for 140000 we try and do a comparable, you know, that previous one in 1994 was selling for 228. So about a hundred K difference. And this asset actually sold for 177 in 1993. So for 30 K difference, um, you could have got into this asset. Now the most recent sale is in 2021 and it sold for 655,000. And over a 28-year period, that's an average growth rate of 5.67%. So same area, just different asset type. We For, for 30K more, which, you know, percentage-wise is probably a fair bit back then, but um, it's about uh, 25, roughly, percent. Yeah, 20, 21% more. Um, you could get into to that house and instead you'd be um, you'd have about a two and a two and a half million dollar asset compared to a 655k asset which is um, pretty crazy difference over that longer longer period um, again not to just pick anything out of the random I've got a, another backup here um, same sort of concept a little bit older though older kitchen Definitely could use a, an updated renovation. Um, 
same sort of building type. If we have a look at where we are, we are a little bit closer to the main road and the, sh the, sh the shops here as well. I'm still close to the water though, even though I don't know if that's a massive thing in that area or not. Um, and if we look at the building profile, uh, it says one house, which is which is usually like one on the ground floor, but there's essentially 10 structures within the dwelling. Um, less owner-occupier appeal as well, um, with 50% being owner-occupiers. Sold in 1998 for 78000 um, And then the most recent sale is in 2021 at 438000 which over a 30-year time period equates to about a 5.15, um, percent compounding growth rate, which, you know, again, is huge. I don't know if we have any comparison. This is 1982, 1989. Could have bought that for sixty-two thousand, um, and you know had a two point seven million dollar property, compared to buying this seven years later for twenty grand more. Um, you know, you, you'd, you'd only be at four hundred thirty-five thousand. Even even if you look at the, I think it's the second from the top, which transacted in nineteen eighty-nine, I think, or nineteen eighty-eight for one hundred thirteen thousand, which is now worth what, what I think was it was that the two point that's a two point five. So one hundred thirteen thousand compared to what was that one eighty eight thousand the bottom one eighty seven thousand yeah jeez that's that's like an extra what thirteen and, and yes that is another ten percent but geez that's insane it, so you're talking we've got to not get caught up though on the the number of values the percentage though because it's like okay. the difference between buying a one point two five mil house in Sydney or a million dollar apartment like it is still twenty five percent is still a considerable difference in people's budgets yeah. No, we, we actually see that question all the time in Ozprop where people go, oh, do I fork out and buy a 600 grand apartment or do I wait and buy a million dollar one? And then this is exactly the point of this webinar. Yeah, exactly. So same area. And, and this is, again, is sort of why I wanted to zoom out at the start. I know we looked at it sort of a, a, a state by state basis, but, you know, you can hone in on a specific area and have all the best data and show all the metrics on, you know, one specific area. But this is, a very, very selective, tiny little area and um, just different asset classes. And, you know, that was relatively close or similar in value back 30 years ago and they have performed completely differently. Uh, and I think that's why it always comes down to the actual asset rather than, uh, and again, sticking to the fundamentals rather than, you know, all the, the glitz and show and everything else like that. Well, so well, that's well, Like you said, you can manipulate your data. Look at the 23, no, go back to the spreadsheet. 23% for that one for the last the last growth cycle. So like that that looks all right. You go, well, yeah, that's, that's not too bad. But then long-term, it's not, not that strong. Exactly. You can take any any of these periods of time, you know, nine years between 1994 to 2003, you know, it increased by 110K, which is 100%. Yeah. So doubled in value, compounding at 8.3%. Looks amazing. Same with the year after. Looks amazing. Um, but it, when you take the longer term picture, it really underperforms compared to the rest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, this is a yeah. This is really good. Uh, I don't know how much time you spent on this research, but it looks uh, like you, it's pretty impressive. Did you sort of just pick and then sort of yeah? I, I, I think there's heaps of value here for people just to sort of see the type of analysis you can really do in, in a suburb. And I think the challenge people will have as well though is you can really do this and you can start to over an analysis by paralysis. Or paralysis by analysis, you can sort of start to say, well, what if I make a mistake if I'm, if I'm picking the wrong asset? So what if you look at 15 suburbs or, or 500 suburbs, you say you see the same thing. You're like, well, 
I can't buy this asset in that suburb. So then you move on to the next one. You just don't, don't ever buy anything. So how, how, what sort of tips would you give people to not do that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, and I wish someone told me this when I first started, is just take the time to, to make the right decision. You, you don't need to rush it. Like I, when I first started, went out and bought three assets just for the sake because I felt like I just had to continue buying assets. And they weren't, one was the shit story one, so that didn't turn out to be the best one. But, you know, if I had just waited and got it into, you know, spent a little bit more money, got it into a better asset, bigger block of land, sticking to the fundamentals, um, you know, I'll probably be much better off over a 30-year period, even though they've performed well and I'm happy with them so far. You know, when I think about big picture long, longer term, if I'm handing it over to the next generation or what it might be, if I had just stuck to the fundamentals and maybe bought a bit more land or, or a house on, on some, some land, still with good data, and don't get me wrong, I'm not bagging all the, the fancy data and, and all the good information that's out there, but you, you, the, the numbers that you should be looking at is essentially just these two, two num- these two numbers at the end. Forget about everything else. Just look at these two numbers and make your decision based on these timeframes at this growth rate and these timeframes at this growth rate. Just make sure that the area that you're looking into is um, got those fundamentals as well. It, it is hard starting out. Like I, I had to buy a 230 grand little crap hole house in Sydney's West because that's all I could afford. And then you, you've got that conundrum of, do I sit there waiting for two or three years to try to get a $600,000 house and the market move away from me or not? And then this is the biggest thing. And that's why people buy apartments or they buy on the outskirts of a city it is the hardest part of investing is knowing what budget and what you should be buying versus if you should wait. Mm. The other, yeah, the other no. question or objection that I'll sort of throw out there that people may throw at you guys probably quite often or sometimes is that this sort of $2.5 million asset or whatever sort of price point, let's just say eight, 900,000, they say, well, how can it keep continue, uh, keep continuing to grow if, if, if there's no sort of inc- significant price or wages growth? And I think I know one of the answers to this, so I'll throw a suggestion out there. Well, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Like when people say that to you, what, what do you usually say? The way I would respond to that is those those people thought it in this year. They thought it in this year. They thought it in this year. They're thinking it in this year. And it, it just continues to grow. It's the compound effect. It's, you know, wage increase, money supply, everything that we've just seen over the last two years. If you can't, if you can't, you know, we're trying to buy in broad beach waters and property values have grown 70%. You know, what was selling for 1.2, 1.3 is now selling for 2, 2.1. And it blows my mind. Like, how can a property grow that quickly? But man, history doesn't repeat itself. Man, do. Like, our emotions drive where we want to live. Everyone's moving to Gold Coast. We want the lifestyle. We want, we'll pay whatever. We don't care. I'm happy to go in debt. I want the lifestyle. I want to be near the beach. I want to get up and go for a surf at five o'clock in the morning. I don't, I don't care as long as I'm earning the money. I'm happy to pay that for that lifestyle. So I hear, I hear Wollongong's pretty good too, but maybe maybe <laughs> I might have a vested interest there, just quietly. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that, Polizzi? What I, I'll yeah. throw a thing out there. So, well. so Tom's right. we've we've seen wage growth for the last fifty years, and that's what it is. There is an argument if we stop seeing wage growth, properties probably won't continue to grow like they have grown. But you've got to put your money somewhere. It's got to go in a bank account. It's got to go in shares. You've got to put it into business. You've got to put it into properties. That argument can be made for all of those. Like if we're not seeing wage growth, we're not seeing business growth, we're not seeing share growth, we're not seeing your interest rate on your savings account going up. So for me, that's why we like property. That's why all three of us like property is it's security because you actually own something physical. Yeah. I, I need that uh, that cop thing that Joe puts up, the not financial advice. Seek your own. Yeah, basically. But um, the other interesting thing that I'd throw out there, and I've sort of seen a little bit of this recently, and I suspect that it could come, 
is the introduction of 35 to 40 year mortgages and even sort of so that's the sort of because you start you start putting that i don't know if you can throw them the game plans but have you done modeling on that jordan what that does for borrowing capacity can you do that i uh, haven't done any game plans probably a good one that i could potentially do just because it's not a thing here in australia but um yeah. you're so right like if you see the biggest some of the biggest growth rates that we've seen in property in history is when they all of a sudden decided to be double income families and you know a whole second income was coming into the borrowing capacity equation all of a sudden families can borrow a whole lot more and uh, go and spend more on property. So, you know, there are different times or different phases in, in our, in our life cycle where we see these things come into play. As I said before, one of the biggest determinants or changes of, of property is cash rate changes, policy changes, you know, gearing tax changes, like all this sort of stuff has a massive impact on the market. And uh, it's something like that, that again, you know, it's a quick, quick change in policy or quick way of thinking or quick change in, you know, bank, banking policy or whatever it might be and uh, can have a detrimental impact on property moving forward. Yeah. That's, that's probably the biggest point you made, Jordan. Like wages effectively doubled in the last 20 years because households went from one working families to two. Like, and the, you'll actually find, I don't know what the stats are, but I imagine it'll be something like 70 or 80% of households now have two incomes, even if it's a part-time income for one of the for one of the spouses. So that's just bumped it up again as well. So we've got all those in, those ones. Yeah. What are, what, are, what are people's questions? What are people's thoughts on this? Are people loving it? I think that the analysis here has been really just interesting. And it just kind of, what are we, uh, are we up to some unique um, sort of, I probably should. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. Have we got a hard cap at nine o'clock? Because we'll jump to the unique ones if we want. Oh, no. I mean, I can, I can, I can probably, or oh, nine o'clock your time. I mean, well, if we go to nine o'clock your time, that's, uh, what are we, <laughs> we go to 10 o'clock? That's, that's a two and a half hour session. What about Polizzi? Has he got any calls booked with Joe? or? 9.30 a.m. I've got all day. Let's keep going for about five, six hours. You're not catching up with Joe? And, yeah, anyway, <laughs> let's, um, before we do that, we'll, we'll throw this and throw some questions as well, people, because we can, we can even sort of unpack a lot of things with both of these sort of property professional industry experts, I'd call them. So, but let's get to, I've just got to get this one up first. So talk amongst yourselves before I do this. I've, I've got to get young Scotty Agates add up before. Yeah, so. What um what do you think is the most interesting part so far, Steve? I'm interested in your thoughts. I like that you can't argue with him. Like it is very simple mathematics. It's here's what it sold for, and he's got literally two examples of each to back it up. And yep. you can't argue with it. Like it is the simplest form of mathematics. And people try to overcomplicate kind of property. It's not that complicated. My wealthiest investors aren't smart academic people. They're people that just look at the the macro data and make a decision from that. Yeah. Have we got have we got any house and land? I should, I did look at these, but have we got house and land examples coming up? Or yeah, house oh, and land, cool. unit versus apartment, and then some unique scenarios, which will be cool too. Awesome. Well, let's let's get into it, shall we? I'll have to share my screen again. It's not the first time I've done this, I promise. But <laughs> here we go. That's the wrong one. Is that photo me? There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought, but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
Sky's now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate. So you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course, which is a step-by-step -step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it'll be one of the best decisions you ever make. There we go. Gotta stop. Stop sharing here. See stuff of see Polizzi. <laughs> Go click the right button. Okay. We're back. We're back. We're back. Okay. So yeah, that was um. Let's let's get into yeah. That was oh, I think yeah. That, that's one of the things. One of the most under underrated things. The negotiation piece because, I mean, not not to sort. But now that I'm sort of doing it a lot, it's just yeah. Like it's it's really understanding well what the sort of needs of the, of the seller are and how you can sort of get it get an extra edge because. In a hotter market, I'm sort of even finding like properties, you look at them in the morning, they've already sold and, and, and that sort of stuff. So it's how you understand you can sort of get a bit of extra juice out of it. So let's get back into it. So the, let's see, what are we, what are you up to here? We're up to, oh, Parramatta, gee, an old stomping ground. Both, both pleasing myself. Uh, me too. I grew up in the Hills District, so I wasn't too far away. Great Western Highway. Um, Here we go. Yeah, so this is a units versus apartments. Again, this comes down to um, particular price points, even though I wouldn't potentially recommend that everybody buying in Parramatta. But um, if you are struggling with price points, you might um, decide to go for a, a lesser quality asset and sort of could see the difference between the, the growth rates in, in the different asset types. So I've got two apartments here and then two units as well. Um, the first one is a 211. Um, you can see that's kind of an older... Older style here definitely needs a bit of a re an update slash renovation. Um, nice little two better there though. Uh, balcony and it's got a car space, which is always decent. If we look at the building profile, um, it's forty percent owner occupier and sixty percent rented. Um, look, so look at how many there are. Ninety one apartments. Or there's ninety one uh, in there, so always susceptible to any of these other people who own an occupier or, or rent or investors who might be stuck in a financial situation and have to sell for a, a lower price. Um, first sold back in 1999 for 160K. Most recent sale was in 2022 for 450K. You can see periods of negative growth in sales, two periods of, of, of negative growth between sales over a five and a four year period which is pretty crazy. But over the 18 years, not 18 years, it's uh, 23 years. Just check those numbers. Um, it's compounded about 4.6%. Um, so, you know, seeing much lower numbers than we were before with the sort of 10, 9 and 10%, um, even some high numbers here at some of the, the, the higher fives. Um, to back it up, and I'll just tell, check that these numbers are accurate too. Um, got the same sort of thing. Nice pool in here, though. This is a three, two, one. 
a um, little bit nicer internally. Probably could do a little renovation, but still not terrible. Um, three bed is probably a good example or comparison as well. If we look at the dwelling, um, it's got two houses and then 118 others as well. So it's probably like a, they're not at like a high rise apartment though, which is quite interesting. And what I wanted to do, um, you know, comparing sort of like for like, but just the number of dwellings, which is the supply side. Uh, it's a 50 50 as well, uh, which is a little bit better than what we saw before, but sold in 1995 for 200K. Recent sales in 2020 for 540K over the 25 year period. Um, we've only compounded at 4%. Um, you know, when we compare that to inflation, I know there's leverage and everything else in there, but, um, you know, when we compare that to inflation and interest rates and everything else like that, like, you know, it's well below that 6.8% average. And, um, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty um, low from that side of things. That's not, that's not as bad as what I, I expected because you sort of look, in, look at the growth of the suburb as a whole, Parramatta, and just, it looks like it just kind of goes up a little bit and then goes back down, goes up. And so that's not, not as bad. I mean, that first one, yeah, you can sort of see, like it looks like it's seen a lot of its growth between the, that Sydney boom between 2010 and 2017. Like, whereas if you... Yeah. We, we mentioned fundamentals before, Jeff. So, like, population growth in Western Sydney has been huge. Like, to put it into perspective, Sydney in 1980 was 2.2 million, all of Sydney. Now the population of Western Sydney is 2 million. So you get a lot of people being like, oh, you've got to buy inner ring Sydney. Theoretically, you could be saying buy inner ring Parramatta. It's the same, same concept, same numbers, and that's why you've got to transpose those, those numbers in today's numbers. Yeah, it's not a early street. Not horrible. Yeah, we'll take a look at this one. So this is sort of that unit comparison uh, to three two two. Last sold for six fifty. Um, pretty pretty all right inside. Again, it's probably quite. Uh, it's not too bad. Um, obviously, it's been a renovation since um, since the start. But you can see here, even though it's in a smaller block and considered a, a quote unquote unit, look how much supply is is around in this area, different to sort of the high rise units, uh, apartments, sorry, but um, lots of supply in the area. If we look at the building profile, uh, there's only 13 others uh, and 85% owner occupier here as well. Um, only 15% of them are rented. So that's probably an interesting metric to take a look into why, uh, you know, have people just lived there since they've bought them and happy there, or is it close to a school or, you know, what, what's the reason behind that? One, one so, point, I, don't, I don't have the real data, but like Paramount, I know, cause obviously grew up there, um, a huge Asia Pacific immigration over the last kind of 30, 40 years. So most people living there are first and second generation Australians. And a lot of the countries they come from, Living in an apartment is very acceptable. They don't have that old Australian mindset of, oh, I've got to live in a house. And then that's one of the reasons, Jeff, why maybe this hasn't been as bad as some other areas. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I just, maybe I, I, I didn't look as far back because it all, like, it depends on how you chop the data as well. Yeah, exactly. The numbers. Um, and then, so sold in 91 for 140, sold in 22 for 650. Over the 31 years, it's compounded at about 5%. Um, again, well below that 6.8% number. Um, but this last one isn't necessarily too bad. Um, do a quick high-level look at it. Um, looks quite nice from the from the facade. Nice, but better than the others from the facade. Quite nice internally too, obviously. Is that a... Um, 
<laughs> it must be like a generated photo. Um, <laughs> People eat the original, isn't it? <laughs> uh, not too much of there, but it's, it's, it looks like it's close to amenities. Police, you might know the area. I don't, but, um, you know, it looks like it might be, might be closer to amenities there. Oh, yeah, yeah close to Paramount Stadium. Oh, it's, it's now called, uh, what do they call it now? Um, last sold, first sold in 97 for 149 and then recently sold in 2020 for 690 over the 25 years, it's compounded at 6.32. Um, and then just looking at the dwelling again, you know, there's one house, which would probably be before. So nine dwellings in total. Um, and again, there's 90% owner occupier in there as well. Um, in your research, have you found any kind of key differences between the slightly smaller blocks and the big ones? So, like, did you notice if it's a little block of four, any percentage kind of rule of thumbs between that versus an eight versus a 20 versus a 92 one like we saw before? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I kind of just did the high-level due diligence, but you're, you're right. And I guess it probably comes down to the if we're talking apartments versus units. If you're buying that block where, you know, there's 100 other dwellings, you only really own depending on the title, but one one hundredth of what's underneath that land where when you're buying in something like this might be on a similar size block, but you, you know, you own one ninth of the land that's underneath it. So um, didn't go into like land size specifically, but you touched on a really good point there. Yeah, I'm sure it's case by case, depending on what you, where you buy as well, because some people don't care if they're living in a three story one or a 10 story. So it might not affect your renters and supply and things like that. But like I said, potential for development in the future or just owning something that you can do something with. But again, there's, there's no right answer. You have to look into the data. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So there's a bit of a unit versus apartments, trying to keep it positive. Um, got some cool, unique scenarios and really bad ones as well. So I'll walk you through them. But oh. we'll do house and land first. Um, this is over in Craigieburn, which is kind of similar to where I was living uh, over in Melbourne or close to where I was living over in Melbourne. Uh, we'll check on the Excel spreadsheet next time you zoom in a little bit for people watching. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, so typical home, old school on 650 square meter block, you know, double brick, pretty nice inside, obviously been renovated at some point. Uh, nice and roomy, high ceilings, decent kitchen, um, floorboards, bathroom. Yeah. Throw, me, throw me that zebra, zebra uh, doona there. I wouldn't mind one of those. <laughs> Needs a, needs a bit of a reno in here, but where's the zebra? I can just imagine Jeff's bedroom with a, a red lamp and a zebra tuna. Purple, uh, purple shag pole. Yeah. Don't, don't imagine that. That's, you don't you, want to you crack me up. Um, typical. One thing that I wanted to show here was... Um, no, just the um, the locale and the supply and demand or the, the available land. So if we look at where it is on the map, uh, it's kind of in the heart of of Craigieburn. Like, there's no like if you have a look at all these areas out here, which we where we'll go to shortly. That's where they can keep releasing those stages of of land, right? They can just keep releasing these dwellings and more and more over time. Where this is, I mean, it, it is close to a main road, which isn't the best, but you know, it is in some some regard landlocked because they can't keep building out right near, near it. They've, they've got a, a creek close to it, which is also good. And I think I was looking before, there was a golf course somewhere not too far away either. Um, but really key driver, and I, I want to stick to that when we're looking at these um, house and land versus hound. So this originally sold in uh, 82 for 14K. 
that might have just been the land, but I'm yeah. no, because this one, well, this one was built in '85 and sold for 35k, so maybe not. Um, last sold in 2023 for 750k over the 41 years, it's compounded at 10%, uh, which is crazy. Um, but a lot of that growth, you know, we've seen either at the start, and I, maybe it was built in between then because there's a fair bit of growth, but you know, the last, last couple of years. Um, second example is, um, you know, again, looks to be double brick, but quite nice inside, obviously recently renovated, um, unless those are, no, maybe they look like, um, I don't know. They might look like generated photos to me, um, but kitchen looks all right. You know, not too terrible, livable for now, you know, nothing major you need to do. From that stand, if we look at where we are in terms of the map, um, similar again, sort of... similar sort of location. We're a bit further in, um, but you know, no major areas where land can be built out. Even though it is on the outer outer fringes, um, just in, interesting to note. Uh, first sold, it was built in '85. I check, I couldn't find the build date on this one, but the build date on this was '85. Sold for 35K in 89 and then sold recently for 715 in 23. Over the 33 years, that means it's compounded at um, 9.57%, which again is, is pretty decent. Now, if we move to some house and land, it's going to be over a smaller time period. We're only looking at seven years, but I want to compare it to some of the more recent transactions as well. Um, if we have a look at this, kind of that newer, newer build, Really nice inside, quite modern, um, good floor plan, everything else like that. If we check this out where it is on the map and we zoom out a little bit, what we can see here is, you know, we're kind of in, starting to be in some of those areas where they can just continually, there's so much land. Like if we zoom right out, there's so much available land um, around the outer fringes of this, which means, you know, they're going to essentially going to be building within all these streets those nice new looking dwellings, probably quite similar from that side of things. Um, this was, the land was bought in um, 2015 for 235K. And then it was sold in 2016 for 585K, um, which means I just done the difference between those is 350K. Doesn't necessarily mean that the build cost was that, but you'd expect the build cost to be less than about 350K. But even if you bought this in 2016 for 585 and then sold in 2023 for 715 over a seven-year period, you would have had 22% growth, and that's only a compounding growth rate of 2.91%. Now, um, if we compare that to just three years, and I know there's different market cycles and everything else like that, um, but this, this property is performed at 8.4% through that three-year period. Um, and seen 150k worth of growth compared to to this year, and this just goes to show that you know this sale you might have been paying overs to the developer. You know, there's developers margin within that. Might have been you know, stage two or stage three or whatever it was, depending on. Yeah, what. exactly. Also, a bit of a peak of the market, like didn't really take yeah. off until 2012, 13. So you got that few years in where everyone's feeling really confident about seeing the growth again. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've got a few other examples here. I'll just walk through the, the second one, but same sort of thing. Nice and new, shiny new Very object. Similar. Nice fixtures. Yeah, a little bit smaller, you're right. Um, and that's yeah, probably one. That's similar to the, uh, to the first one as well, 
I mean, not exactly the same, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we look at where it is on the map, again, you know, big open areas just, just on the street across where they can continue to be built out. Um, again, built in 2015, um, sold in 2015 for 399 uh, and then sold again in recently 2023 for 615 um, over the eight years. So it's just those two numbers. Um, it's only grown at a 5.56% growth rate. Um, and when we compare these three years to these three years, you know, this is compounded at 8.4, where this is compounded at uh, 5.6. So, you know, same area, very close, just um, very different growth rates. And I know we're sort of looking at a shorter time period. It's kind of hard with house and land because, you know, you do want something new to compare to, but just goes to show, you know, depending on where you spend your money, you can have completely different growth rates. Like, you know, in 2020, if you just spent 20 grand more, you would be 100K better off where we are today. So you can either buy this for 545 or this for 561, mm-hmm. which, you know, most lenders potentially would allow you to just, just get that little bit extra more. It's not even 20K, it's like 16K. Um, but there's a 100K difference uh, over that three-year time period, which, you know, is a difference of potentially being able to get into your second or third asset if you could refinance and pull out some borrowable equity. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. That's um, that's 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 super interesting. Just uh, how how much did you just, did you pick Craigieburn because you sort of uh, know it pretty know it pretty Craigieburn because you know it pretty well. well. I was looking at Greenvale to start, but I couldn't couldn't find it was that Greenvale sort of. I know Greenvale is like a big house and land area, but I know they've done a lot of stuff there recently. And then I was trying to find something that I could go back a little bit. Like we're kind of got about you know six or seven years here or eight years. Um, which is handy, but it's hard with the house and lands because it's a relatively, well, it's not new, but um, you want to compare something that is new. Yeah. Yeah. It it happens everywhere though, Jordan, like you grew up in the Hills District. I I grew up in Parramatta. I used to play soccer out there and Kellyville and all that, that was farmland when I was a kid. Like you used to drive out there and it was fun. And then that just shifts. It goes from like Kellyville and then it goes to Box Hill and they, they just keep moving out. And there's nothing wrong with buying in that now period, like Bella Vista, Kellyville, like they're $2 million plus houses. So it's just it's about timing the market. We spoke about long term, but timing the market within kind of the next 10, 20 years, not the past 10, 20 years. Exactly. Spot on. Yeah. Cool. Um, now I'll get into some fun stuff. So uh, there's a that few things. Fun. I thought it was amazing. Good. Let's yeah. do the fun stuff. Let's do it. <laughs> um, I just wanted to oh, jump geez. in with some some unique scenarios and, and run some, through some funny stuff. Um, you know, I've always had this big perception that, you know, a high-end waterfront in a really nice area, Bondi, will always perform really well. Um, but this is a, an example of an asset that's actually been negative for an entire decade. Um, it is an apartment, again, uh, but it does, you know, have magnificent views. It is like really, really, really nice internally. Um you know, it's selling in the in the seven to eight million dollar range. So, you know, really, you know, fundamentally nice asset. You know, it is it is the penthouse. You're right. Um, in Bondi as well. You know, where you'd think, geez, you know, that should that should perform quite well. But it sold back in. Oh, I just want to have a look at the dwelling profile. So there's about yeah. thirty five other structures in there as well, and a fifty five percent owner occupier rate. Um, but it sold back in 2006 for 7.7. 7. 
Then it sold in 2015, which is nine years later for 7.35, which is a negative of about 400K or compounding at negative 0.6. And then this person sold it a year later, might've done like a, I don't know, renovation or something, but don't know why you would pay that much stamp duty to sell it a year later um, for 7.5, 200K difference um, and grown at sort of 3%, but still negative. And still over that decade period, it's still negative and compounded at negative 0.2%. So um, really important because we can talk about those fundamentals. You know, you want to be landlocked. You want to be in a really good location. You want, you know, water views, amazing views that can't be bought. But, um, you know, this really goes to show that even high wealth individual assets that you'd expect to do well can underperform. I'd, I'd be interested to have a value or value that now. I actually, I actually think it's probably less. It's probably gone down 20%. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to go on to like, hey, using ABMs, but I tried to do like an ABM to sort of see what it'd be worth. But no one, no one wanted to give me an answer. There, there's not enough comparables, and that's the thing. And with these high net worth ones, like you're talking about like 0.2 percent of the market that can afford it. So it's a it's a different game those high end ones. Exactly. Um, and then I just wanted to compare this against, um, you know, an, an an okay performing asset. This is uh, over in Manly open for me um again same sort of concept really nice water views this is the first example that i was showing beforehand um big big apartment block how many have we got in there you know we've got 41 others in there which isn't you know again huge um we've got that 50 percent owner occupier 50 percent renting so same sort of concept but you know, that sold back in 1990 for 358000 and then there's only been one other sale. So they held, held it for 33 years and they sold it for 3.15, uh, which equates to a 6.8%, which is the Australian average growth rate over that long-term period. So it's not to say that all apartments are bad investments and don't perform. You know, there definitely are things out there that can compare and, and um, grow in a, in a certain growth rate over time. But I just wanted to show some different unique scenarios there as well. Oh, is that, uh, I think the next one, is that like student accommodation or is it that, that the large? <laughs> this one, I uh, shout out to Mike Larry, if you're watching or listening, that you asked me for something that was in negative equity for two decades. But yeah, this is uh, definitely some some form of, of shoebox. Wouldn't, wouldn't be a, an ideal living scenario. But um, again, this is a common thing that a lot of people say is like, oh, I'm happy to get into an apartment. I want to buy in Sydney. Um, if we have a look at where this location is, um, where's the actual listing? I don't know, maybe Dixon Street, Sydney. If we just have a look yeah. at where it is on the map. Um, it's a common thing for a lot of the new investors that I, I, I chat to. They're like, oh, you know, everyone's saying I've got to buy Sydney. I've got to buy Sydney. I can only afford, you know, 500,000. Um, you know, I've got to get in there. I can be in the center of town. I'm near Darling Harbour. Like, this is going to be amazing. Lo and behold, uh, this sold back in 20, you know, 2002 for 400, sorry, 470K. Um, it then sold again in 2015 for 395K. So holding for 13 years there and essentially mm -hmm. lost 75K worth of equity, compounding at negative 1.3%. Uh, and then it sold recently last year for 405. So last person made 20 grand or 10 grand um, over a seven-year period. Again, only compounding at 0.4%, but overall, over a, a decade, so 20 years, 
uh, it's still negative, which just blows my mind. You know, when you when you throw inflation and the cost of living and opportunity um, costs, really. Which oh yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts, Jordan, on why this one would be different to say like the manly one? I know it's different price points and lifestyle, not, but do you have any kind of assumptions of why you think something like this wouldn't have had the growth, even though it's in a blue chip location, in quotation marks? Yeah, um, I think probably just really that oversupply story. If we have a look on the street where we are, you know, just take yeah. a look at that and you just go like, mate, when there is that many dwellings um, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them and they just keep building them and there's always newer ones, there's always nicer ones. Maritime um, still plenty. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right exactly. Um, regardless of the location, when there's a supply, not that there's a supply issue, but when there's an abundance of supply, um, you know, it's just going to keep the prices low. It's um, just comes down to those fundamentals again. Yeah, I think there's probably a lifestyle aspect of it as well. Like a lot of, again, I'm very small sample size, but like my friends and things like that, they'd rather live in the the Surrey Hills or the Rose Bays or those fringe ones where there's a real cool culture. Whereas those CBD ones, if it's just kind of like apartment city and that's kind of it, it's it doesn't have that kind of, I don't know, that, that want that most people want to rent there. It's kind of like Docklands yeah. or sort of South Bank in Melbourne, like pretty similar. Yeah, spot on. And again, it's the it's the unknown. Like if you didn't if you didn't just look back and have a look at that research, and you you weren't familiar with Sydney and you know the drivers behind Sydney, those lifestyle drivers and in, in areas and locations, and you went, oh, I just want a four hundred k property in, in Sydney CBD. Um, you know, you, you, you know, the opportunity cost is just huge. You know, you, you buy that for four seventy in twenty twenty. Uh, 2002 or you can buy this for 268k which is half the price two years before um and see the difference like it's just phenomenal um mining towns the big old story everyone's heard it i'm sure i hope everyone's heard it but um if we take a quick look at this we are typical typical mining house dwelling little kitchen two bedrooms, you know, they just used to flog these and rent, rent them out. There are probably six miners in there, um, but all paying a thousand dollars a week or whatever it might be. Um, purchased in 2012 for 700 K sold in 2018, which is only six years later for wow. 145 K. That's that really painful. Half a million dollars. Now, like if you had debt on that, if you bought that with a 20% deposit and you had debt of, you know, you still had an outstanding mortgage of half a million dollars or whatever it might be. You know, you've got to make up that money somewhere. You actually have to pay the bank back. Um, and that could be detrimental to anyone's financial position over that period. Um, yeah. Again, there's been a little bit little bit of growth over a four-year period to 2020 where it sold for 318. Um, but it really just shows you like compounds at negative 23, then all of a sudden compounds at 21%. Um, overall, it's still negative 8%. Or nearly eight percent over a over a ten year period, but um, again, these are just areas that I would completely stick away from, regardless of you know the four year period where they've had some growth rates and all money might be coming back or this mine might be opening up. Um, it's just such a risky investment. Yeah, and the, one of the points is like in two thousand and twelve, the fundamentals in quotation marks might have been okay, and they might have looked at vacancy rates and went, "Oh, mine's buzzing. The, everything's getting rented at a huge yield." There's big population growth because the mine's expanding, yada, yada, yada. But there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just vacancy rates and population growth. 
Exactly right. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, it's, not, it's, all, it's all good to see that data and information, have a look and understand what it's trying to tell you. But at the same time, it is always there on a, on a nice brochure. Um, try and stick to those longer term views and how they've performed. If I had the choice to buy that in 2012 to, you know, something else that we've looked at today, just looking back at historical data, I know what I'd, I'd choose. Um, the last one was just an example of where a house and land has performed. And this is in Greenvale, as I was showing before, saying before, but performed relatively similar to, um, a, you know, an older house in the same area. Nothing uh, amazing there, but it's just, it was just to sort of say that, you know, not all house and lands are bad investments and that wasn't the agenda of today. Um, just It's just more about sort of doing your due diligence and research on the area and the fundamentals behind the area and everything else like that. So no need to jump into it, but not every house and land is a, is a bad investment is, is the story behind that one. What do you, what do you think the, the driver behind, let's see, so you got green, you got, you got two, oh, you got one in Greenvale, but so what do you think the driver behind those of that one was and even... Let's see the Claire. So this is a an older house. Yeah, looks looks pretty nice. You know, nice nice big backyard. Looks looks really good. I'd I'd probably live in that nice little fireplace, nice little home office for me. So happy with that pink bathroom. That'll suit Jeff. Um, <laughs> Give me the purple shag pole. We'll be right. Uh, sold in ninety six for seventy two k. Then sold in twenty twenty two for eighty uh, eight twenty. Uh, performed at 9% over a 26-year period. Uh, then we look at the, the house and land scenario, you know, again. And, and this is a, it was a really good point that Steve brought up beforehand. Like at some point in time, this is just going to be a normal house on a normal block of land. It's not going to be a house and land or, a, you know, a new build or anything else like that. So it's hard to compare, um, you know, old school house and land versus where, where they are today. But it's definitely a smaller block of land. I think around 800 squares beforehand. I want to see what this I, is. I think the point you're making is buying early on in a house and land package is fraught with danger unless you get it right. Later on, everything's been a house and land at some point, whether they've exactly. sold themselves and there's new, new land release. But like I said, that's that's part of the analysis is looking at the scarcity factor. Exactly, um, and you know we can we can zoom out of this and look at it and go, oh, you know, it's it's off the freeway. There's a lake here. You know, it's not got land around it. But at some point in time, you know, probably all this land was vacant um, and being built out. So you're spot on. Um, mentioned so like on that map there, you can see there's not that much kind of land to be released. You've got one side of it kind of blocked off which is probably why these have had a bit more per percentage growth than the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Um, Craigie Burns just up here for anyone who was wanting to reference where we were before. Um, so this was built, I've got like different transa transactions and stuff here, um, but built in 2012, um, sold in 2016 for 686. And then over that six year period, it's compounded at 8.2% or over... 18 years you don't have the build and stuff like that so i'm not even gonna look at that um but that six-year period performed at 8.2 and then over a five-year period on the previous one performed at 9.3 so it just goes to show that exactly what steve was saying beforehand some point in time you know the the house and land is no longer that shiny new object it's a house and land and can still perform relative to um all the other sort of houses in in the same area yeah yeah there you go. That's um, that's that's been an absolute masterclass of analysis. Like, th thanks for re I really appreciate you putting that all together, Jordan. Like, you're 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 a busy guy. I've, I sat on one of your sessions the other day, and like, you're really like, you must just have an immense amount of like the surfing must be doing you wonders. And yeah, good, good on you putting it together. 
So I, I want to ask both of you because I, I promised that I would ask this because you, you've, you've uh, had thousands of conversations about property. I've, I've had a few as well. But what do you what, what do you think for somebody sort of starting or relatively fresh in property investing today? The top sort of free, just off the top of your head, don't think too much. But what what are the key, free key things you would you would give to people? You would let people know. Uh, I'll go first. The first one is master the game of finance. Uh, it's said a thousand times. Um, property isn't it? It's not a game of property. It's a game of finance. I think getting the finance damn packed in leverage is always the biggest thing uh, in property. Just understanding that and how it works, how the banks look at it, treat it, understand it, um, will get you so much further ahead than where you need to go. Um, the second thing is, I think it's probably one of the bigger takeaways from today is there's no real secret source. Um, it's it's a shame like good investing is boring investing and um you know really sticking to those fundamentals just looking at all the different properties that we're seeing today the the biggest outcome is you know decent location good land size um normal typical home there's no secret source to it there's no like uh, i hate using the term like hot spotting or anything else like that if you're going for short-term growth short-term uplift um renovating flips all that sort of stuff that changes the story but um, you know, there's no sort of secret source for longer term investing, mm. um, stick to the fundamentals. And then the last one, um, Could probably I'll, probably, for a couple. I'll probably said it a few times, but it just comes down to the individual asset. You know, we looked at the comparison, same area, same little tiny demographic area, units versus houses. Um, you know, the units essentially performed at half or, you know, compounded at half the rate that the, houses did so you can look at all the data and metrics and reasons why you'd want to buy in a particular area but it just does come down to the individual asset there you yeah, go so i was i was going to say something similar to those ones but i'll change it a little bit so my first one is choose an asset where there's predictability so what i mean by that is don't try to get fancy like we looked at the ones on the fringes there's no predictability in that data because you don't know what the next 10 years are whereas at least if you're buying in a well-encompassed area the numbers that are there, you can basically forecast. Like if the vacancy rate is X, Y, Z, and you know populations are X, Y, Z, you can forecast, okay, the vacancy rate should be tighter over time. Like they're not releasing more land and things like that. So that's my one. It's just choose something where there's nothing special about it, like where you're like, oh, there's going to be a new airport here or they've got the Olympics coming. We must, must have capital growth. There's a university coming, like all those kind of reasons. Get predictability first and then make a decision from there. Um, the next one is just keep it simple. I find so many Oz property investors, they're trying to screw the system so much. They're like, I'm going to get a house in Granny Fly. I'm going to do a subdivision. I'm going to do You can make money doing that. And but Jordan showed like that, that new farm property, you just bought two of them 20, 30 years ago. You are a high net worth individual. You have a lot of money in your bank. You can retire as a very wealthy individual. And even like my personal portfolio, my best performing ones, are just simple set and forget. So they haven't been the granny flats and the subdivisions, and I've done a duplex development and all that type of stuff. They're nice little money kickers, but getting the simple, simple fundamentals right, it's easy. Just, just buy to the fundamentals. Was that two or was that three, Paul? Easy, sorry. I don't know. I ramble a lot. Worth <laughs> three at least. I, I think, I think the, the first one was uh, something about uh, asset selection. Oh, yeah. It was about Find something where you can predict the next 10 years, not yep. based on an assumption. Like, yep. like I said, I, I get asked almost every single day, is, oh, is now the right time to buy in Brisbane because there's Olympics coming? 
And then I always just ask them, I go, cool, why is the Olympics going to make your property grow? And they kind of just shrug their shoulders. They're like, well, I don't know, it's Olympics. People will move there for the mix. I don't know anyone who's planning to move to Brisbane because there's an Olympics. No. What, what, what that does do, though, I'll be, I'll be serious now, I was being facetious, is it brings infrastructure to the area because local councils spend lots of money there and update the infrastructure, which in turn brings population growth, gentrification, people to the area, which will then increase the price. So it's not the Olympics, it's what's coming, but it's not instant. They don't, you don't flick your fingers and it grows. Like the example, Sydney Olympics. Like I grew up near like Sydney Olympic Park and things like that. After the Olympics, that area was ghost town. There's just yeah. a park central. You walk around and go, there is no one there. But then what happens over five, 10 years, it fills in. The numbers become what I mentioned before, predictable. Because you can look at it and go, okay, these are the numbers now. Vacancy rates are tighter. They're not building any more stock. And you can forecast the next 10 years. Yeah, kind of the uh, – look, I, I grew up in roughly the same sort of area. I grew up just around the corner from sort of the, the parklands out sort of the, the uh, sort of baseball stadium, sort of Plumpton and, and Doonside and those sort of areas, which back back in the day, you, you're talking 20 years ago, they were, they were rougher sort of areas. Like you, you go through there and you'd be like, oh, crap, am I going to get out of here alive? Like I mean, not that – not extreme, but yeah, sort of – but over time that sort of gentrified and that didn't gentrify because of the Olympics. It just gentrified because – People needed to, it became, it was a little bit more affordable. Uh, this is an interesting. I was going to say there's a rabbit hole you can go down as well, is if they're building lots of infrastructure quickly, we've seen what's happened with the Sydney Olympic Park apartment towers and stuff like that as well. So there's a whole other danger level there. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, the, um, so this, this is an interesting question. I think you kind of answered that, Polizzi. Are you saying that house land packages can perform well in this context that you just explained where it, it is just a one-off property? Um, no, so I'll, I'll answer that. Um, but I wasn't really referring to that if you're just buying a one-off property. It's more to do with where it is in the off-the-plan cycle. Like if you're kind of on the tail end, you can still do well. But what I was originally referring to is like on the, say the Northern Beaches, for example, example like, like Terry Hills is releasing some land components. That's not going to have the same kind of poor growth as we're going to see in those other ones we looked at because they don't have the option to keep building out. They're releasing their 50 homes and that's it. So long-term, that's going to be right. But as Jordan's pointed out, you go buy an existing one 250 metres away in a kind of well-established area, why well, rather the 10% as opposed to even if it goes from 5% to 7%, I still want the 10%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. This is, uh, I think everybody, I feel I've heard this question about 50 times, like even 100 times. Somebody said, wouldn't major development, e.g., would, it, would a Bunnings, new Bunnings in an area indicate growth? Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll offer a bit of a like people building a Bunnings. I mean, I suppose that I don't think it necessarily means that. I just think it means that Bunnings like that that probably indicates population growth. So it's it's too simplistic to say yes, they're building a Bunnings, they're building a Maccas, they're building whatever it is they're building. They're building a Woolies. I think that could be sort of one sort of kit, one uh, indicate one clue that could be potential in that area. But it's all about well, okay, if there's if there's if there's a lot of land in an area, then okay, maybe there's too much supply and not enough demand. So, what are your thoughts, Polizzi and Jordan? I'll put it, put it this way: if the if the auctioneer is standing there in front of the house and they're telling you all the good things about the house, there's the ocean down here and there's a land there. The, the last thing they're saying, if they're ever saying at all, is there's a new Bunnings around the corner. It's not a primary driver of the, the price of property. There might be good metrics and indications around population growth. But if we do 
go back to that longer term, 30, 40 years, um, you know, in 40 years time, you're not really going to be here. Probably not going to be a Bunnings there. It's probably going to be something else. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe a short-term thing, but I'd always invest for the long term. I'd, I'd sort of say the opposite. The, normally where they put new Bunnings is where there's new estates going in because new, new and, and they're right, they, you do get population growth, but the population growth doesn't mean capital growth. Like we've, we've been over this many times. Like they're building new land. Like if you go out to a new estate and they build a Bunnings, they're building 200 houses and that's why the Bunnings there because everyone's going to be doing home renos and things like that. That population growth is a 10-year cycle. So you might be 10 years too early. Good indicator long-term because Bunnings spend millions and millions of dollars researching where they're going to put it for the sake of that. But you might be buying early onto that kind of house and land package piece. Yeah, yeah, great. Look, um, if there's any other questions, uh, throw them in because they, there's an absolute wealth of knowledge here and I'm only speaking about myself, uh, not, not even getting to Polizzi and Jordan. So, um, yeah, um, Joe's back next week, so he'll, uh, he'll, he'll be able to uh, – oh, somebody just said thanks. Oh, here we go. Okay. Everybody loves talking about house and land packages. Do you eventually think people will start buying house and home and land package because everyone keeps saying shortage suppliers, existing homes – but the population growth is higher. I'd supply and demand. Like, I mean, they might, people might start buying them, but if there's so much land, I mean, you, uh, a lie, I, I don't, I don't, or Lee, I don't know if you've watched the start where Jordan talked through the different stages. Like, that really made it super clear to me why there's, there's challenges in buying house and land packages. So maybe if you're willing to wait 10, 15 years, but I think in the shorter term, yeah. What is I, it? I'll, be, I'll be supporting the house and land package for a second. So, like, Oh, what we've got at the moment is vacancy rates are at an all-time low in pretty much every regional town and every capital city. So we, we might be wrong. The next 10 years for house and land packages might be not as bad as we saw. They might be, instead of getting 6%, we might actually get 8 or 8.5% or 9 because there's a huge demand people looking for somewhere to live as well. Then there's the argument of lifestyle changes, like a lot of people working remotely now. So those fringe cities within kind of three hours of a capital city they might take off as well. People move up on the east coast of Australia and more people move to Perth because like the beaches there and lifestyle stunning. That might change it as well. And this is the human element of it. It's not, not as simple as just like our house and land package is good. Long term, it might be all right. There you go. Please be taking the, uh, taking the opposite. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I, I just... I just think I like to sort of, as you say, I like to know the, the, the variables and sort of see... Like, you could be right, and if you're right, then, then good luck yeah, to people. You're buying an area and, say, days on market are two days, and it's a really tightly held area for selling properties, and they release, let's say, 50, and the, it blows out to, say, 20 days on market. Three yeah. years ago, if we were having this conversation, we'd be going, yeah, it's not bad. 20 days on market, that's a, that's a good, strong, strong, strong market. So, like I said, this depends what you're buying. Yeah. All right. I think it might probably make the last. Poor, poor George's got to get up for a surf in the morning. He probably gets up early. So he said, will the cost of new builds, I think I'd like to get Jordan's perspective on this because you've probably uh, seen it a bit in your time as a builder, help maintain the current market. Infill as in like new build infill. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we do have a supply problem at the market at the moment. If you look at sort of the, the core logic charts, which I was looking at the start of this month, um, the number of dwellings on the market is significantly low. The problem with the builders in, in the industry, in the building industry at the moment is like so many are going under. So many are struggling to get this supply out there and help their margins and continue to run strong companies. And so um, 
the cost, if you're talking about like the, the cost of increasing, I think it's actually a bad thing because there's a lot of companies that are, are struggling out there, going under, unable to provide this supply, which sort of counteracts that supply and demand um, equation. So, um, you know, r- really the only thing that's going to keep keep or well, maintain the, the, the current market is if, you know, interest rates stay quite high, consumer confidence stays low, there's not a lot of demand out there and, that people don't want to list their markets or sell, sell their properties in the current market. I've, I've got a flowing question I'll put you on the spot for. So build costs have gone up tr- quite dramatically as well. Do you, do you have any thoughts on how that might affect like house and land packages? Because I imagine that's going to bring the price disparity even further away from existing. So that might actually mean it's actually worse in the next 10 years in terms of capital growth. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, for sure, the, the, the cost of building properties increase significantly, not even from a material standpoint, but the cost of trades and everything else like that, which just has so many flow-on effects to the economy. That's um, crazy. Um, but I, I completely agree. It might even be worse to get into the the, the house and lands now just because, um, you know, there's, there's there's probably not enough builders out there to keep keep building them. All they're going under or the margins aren't high. Maybe they're building less. Maybe if they're not going under, they're building less. Um, maybe there's less jobs in, in a building company because, you know, they're trying to maintain their margins. Maybe they're happy to build less. So, um, yes, spot on. It's definitely a, a concerning area. I see something, a news article every day of a company going under or something. Building less can also be a positive because it increases supply. And that means vacancy rates tighten. We've got less stock on the market. That pushes the residential market up as well. So there's, there's, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah, exactly. All right, gents. Uh, let's. Uh, oh, here we go. Lisa, thanks. Thanks for the. Uh, thanks for the answers. And yes, Steve, I was just thinking the same question. There you go. Great minds. So, Jordan, uh, what's what's the best place for people to to have a look at what what, what you're getting up to? Um, oh, I'm pretty active on socials, so LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm pretty so just add me on there. I'm always posting stuff. Uh, if you want to check out a little bit on what we do, go to gameplans.com.au. Um, work with both Joe, Jeff, and Steve, uh, helping people build out plans moving forward. So you can talk to any of them around sort of building out a plan moving forward as well. But um, heaps of stuff on YouTube, heaps of content online. You can pretty much find me anywhere. But um, if you want to chat, more than happy just to chat on email or anything like that as well. Yeah, there you go. And Felizzi, thanks for thanks for co-hosting here, and we'll we'll, we'll see you on the show in a couple of weeks. We've got young Mike Mike Morkelock, uh coming along to co-host. So, thanks for really appreciate you putting it all together, and and just all the uh, sort of wisdom you guys share throughout the uh, throughout the years we've been running. So, yeah, Jordan, that, that was that was literally awesome, man. Like you've literally done something not simple, but I, I'm going to say simple, simple, but it's proven the point that you can't actually argue with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I like to keep. I love to keep it simple. And again, back to the fundamentals. And if people don't believe you, literally, like the data is not that hard to get a hold of. Choose, choose a suburb. Any suburb you're thinking of buying, choose an apartment, choose a house. Go through the history. Do the exact same spreadsheet. It's not a complicated spreadsheet. And have a look yourself. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. All right, everybody. Well, let's let's go and uh, let's go and research uh, research and buy a property, as Joe says. So thanks for thanks for tuning in, guys. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only.
If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.